This morning, as we look at God's story and our story, we're going to set up a contrast today that will compare Herod, the innkeeper, and the shepherds. In all reality, this should be its own three-week series, because I could preach uh, each Sunday on just one of these characters. But we're going to put them all together this morning, and we're going to look at the role that they played in the birth of Jesus. And we're going to see that, that once again, the author of life has indeed written a much better story than we could ever dream of. As we get closer to celebrating the birth of Jesus, we're going to see how this is his story and how it lays the groundwork for our story. I have to warn you, though, this morning, there are many things that will happen in this room. There are many layers, if you will, of telling this story. So this is not a Sunday that you want to get comfortable and snooze. You need to be sitting up, shoulders square, looking around, because at any moment, something could happen right next to you. So you have been duly warned, and I don't want you to miss anything. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we can share your story about the birth of your son in so many different ways. I pray that as as we look at these key people, uh, Herod and the innkeeper and the shepherds, and as we look at their responses to the news of your son and his birth, that we'll be able to settle in our hearts just which one of those we should respond like. I pray once again, what we do here today will honor you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, I I shared a story with you, or part of a story, from an author named Donna Van Lier, and her book was titled The Christmas Journey. And as we begin this morning, I want to pick up where we left off, which was, if you missed it, Mary and Joseph had just arrived in Bethlehem after a very long journey. And so now we're going to pick up in that book titled The Christmas Journey by Donna Van Lier. It is late on the fifth day when they reach Bethlehem. The town is already crowded from the many pilgrims traveling for the census, all of them clamoring for a place to stay. The westering sun brings a final sigh, escaping with the last little. Joseph's nerves are on edge as he seeks lodging. His feet are blistered, and Mary is sore and exhausted. The contractions started growing closer together hours ago, and she is nearing the end of her strength. Mary is jostled and bumped as Joseph inches his way through the congested streets. The crush of the crowd pushes them forward at a pace that frightens her. People are bustling outside the inn, and Joseph leaves her alone on the donkey as he presses his way to the door. A beggar reached for Joseph's arm, but someone pushes the old man out of the way. Joseph raps on the door and can hear the commotion behind it. He knocks louder this time, and an harried man with a pale face opens the door. There is no room, he says, before Joseph can even speak. Joseph peers around him and sees that the end is so full of people that some are even lying on the floor are curled up on the stairs. The innkeeper and Joseph stare at each other in clumsy silence before Joseph thanks him and turns to leave, shaking his head at Mary. Her face is stricken as she holds her stomach. Her water has broken, and she knows it won't be long before the baby comes. You, the innkeeper calls out. 
Joseph turns to look at him. You can stay there, the innkeeper says, pointing to his stable in the hillside. My guest animals are inside, but if you can find a space among them, you are welcome to it. Joseph surveys the busy street and realizes there is no place for them to go. He looks at Mary and she nods. They have no other option. Thank you, we'll take it, he tells the innkeeper. When Joseph opens the stable door, the stench of hot, sweaty animals and manure assaults them. He hesitates for a moment. This is no place for a birth, but Mary groans, her face twisting in agony. Joseph helps her off the donkey and holds an oil lamp that the innkeeper had given them to guide Mary into the stable. The darkened barn frightens him. What if Mary stumbles and falls? The lamp he carries is barely enough light to read by, let alone usher in the birth of the Christ child. Been the last one to show up at the hotel. Sorry, no vacancy. We're full. You know, I think we're too hard on the innkeeper. Yeah, he turned them away, but I don't think, I don't think he's the beast that we sometimes make him out to be. Speaking of the beast, do any of you know how the beast became the beast in Beauty and the Beast? It's one story that most people never remember the beginning to, but they always seem to remember the happily ever after. I want you to take a look at this quick clip from Beauty and the Beast so you can see the beginning of the story. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances for beauty. The prince in this story is his own innkeeper. Like us, he is the innkeeper of his heart. He turns away the old beggar woman who actually turns out to be a beautiful enchantress. And, and not only does he pay the price for his arrogance because she turns him into the beast, everybody in his castle, all of his staff are transformed into something else because of the decision and the choice that he made. We don't ever really think about who pays the price in our life when we turn away God. Sometimes we do that with our common remarks. The same way that the beast turned away an old beggar woman, we tend to do the same thing with God sometimes. I was just kidding. I didn't mean it. Can't you take a joke? 
Don't be so sensitive. But that's what we do because of like the young prince and beauty and the beast, our own pride, our own arrogance, our own inwardly focused selves. That's what we do. And that's how we turn God away. And I wonder, I wonder what the innkeeper would say that turned Mary and Joseph away. I wonder what he would say right now about turning Mary and Joseph away. I wonder what the story is in his heart. And there we go. As we near the end of our tour, this is the famous trough. That's right. The Christ child was actually in this trough. There was a giant light right over the trough. And, and that is how the parents of the child knew where to go to my stable. And that is the end of Michael's Miracle Messiah's Manger Tour. Thank you so much for coming. That'll be five bucks, please. Ah. What? What? So you think you know the story better? Yeah, I see it in your eyes. Yeah, so, so this young couple comes, and, and they come to me, and, and they say, hey, we need a, a room for the night. And what do I say? There's no room in the inn, right? Well, you weren't there. There was people everywhere. I told the members of the town council Bethlehem could not house all the people that would be traveling here for the census. But whoa, they're so excited about making money. Who cares, right? I'm a businessman. I like making money too. But, but I also know what can happen when people have been traveling for many days and they get to you and they are tired and they're dirty and they're hungry and they're grumpy and you tell them they have no place to stay, things can get very violent. Well, here, this young couple shows up on my doorstep. Yes, they said, we need a place to stay. I say, the room is full. We have no room here. Look, we're packed. I like to make money. I packed them in. There was no room, I'm telling you, but I looked at her. She is very much pregnant. <laughs> she looks like she could deliver any minute. So I think, well, we've got a stable out back. It can't be that much harder for my wife to work. She'll have to be feeding all the animals from our customers anyway. So why don't you go back there? I like the money, but I couldn't turn them away. I had to let them stay. No, there were no blankets. There were no blankets! They were latecomers! I had to give blankets to the people that showed up three days ago! I mean, I can't go in and say, excuse me, can I have your blankets tonight? These people that came here three days later than you, they need a blanket! I don't think so. Grumpy. Violent. We don't want it. So, I put some straw down on, on the floor for them. I, I put some nice fresh hay in the trough, just in case the baby was born through the night. Everything was okay, I thought. I sent my wife out. I sent her out to the stable just to check on the, the young couple out there after I told them about them. She starts out and she stops at the door. I look over. She's bathed in light. I'm thinking, is there a fire outside? What's going on? Honey! She doesn't turn. She's standing there, mesmerized. 
what's going on? I go and check. I look up. You won't believe this. There was a star bigger than anything I've ever seen, brighter than anything I'd ever seen. And it was shining right down on our stable. I knew then there was something very special about this couple. I know, I see it in your eyes. How could you put her out in the stable? How could you put them out in the stable? I'm always hearing that. Well, here's news to you. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm not a prophet, okay? I didn't know. They showed up. It was busy. I did the best I could. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I just didn't know. He didn't know. And we don't know exactly what happened that night. But when we look at God's story, written in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Luke tells us what happened. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There are many things we don't know about the arrival of Jesus. Some people speculate that Mary and Joseph had been in town for a few days already, and that because of all the people and, and, and that the, the inn, some would say, is the common place to deliver a baby, was filled up. And so when they went there, they, they were too, there was too, much, too many people. There was not enough room. But what we do know about this story, regardless of how it all happened, regardless of how we've seen it play out through TV and, and church dramas and nativity scenes, we know this. Jesus started his life by showing us that God will always provide for our needs. Regardless of what we want, regardless of what we think we deserve, Jesus showed us from the very beginning of his life that God will provide us with our needs. No matter what we think we know of the story, we know that God provided for Mary and Joseph and for the baby Jesus every step of the way, even when they were turned away by the innkeeper. He didn't know. He didn't know what or who he was really turning away until the rest of the night's events unfolded, that is.
shepherds, you know? (laughs) The funny thing about shepherds, they weren't always the most reliable people. They were... They were on the lower rung of the social ladder, if you will. They, they stayed out on the outskirts of town. They, they watched their flocks. They often smelled like their flocks. They were common. They were the common of the common. And yet, they were the ones who God chose to hear about the birth of His Son first. Luke tells us, starting in chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, and excuse me, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Verse 21 says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him. Before he was conceived. God's story. This whole master story. Written by him. Is coming together just as it was intended. I have a question for you though. In what culture. Do the lowliest of common people. Get to hear the good news of the birth of a king first. Where does that happen? In Jesus' culture. And when God writes a story. It all lays together perfectly. You see, the shepherds, they became the first evangelists, if you will. Everywhere they went, they told people about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. The innkeeper turned away the Son of God. The shepherds embraced Him. But we still have someone else that we need to consider this morning. What would a king, what would a real earthly king think about the birth of another king that's not his own son.
There's a reason that we always come back to Scripture. Because the things that we hear told time and time again sometimes remind us of an old scene from Veggie Tales. <laughs> you can decide who was Pa Grape and who was one of the little French peas, but how it played out in my mind. You know, the problem is, with King Herod, he just couldn't see past himself in order to appreciate what the birth of this king really meant. And again, looking at Scripture, Matthew chapter 2 tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi did indeed come from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah will be born. In, Ju- in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I want to skip down to verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, returned to their country by another route. King Herod was a notorious king. We think about the fact that he declared all the baby boys under the age of two to be killed. And that in and of itself is a cruel and heartless act. But did you know that it was said back then, you were better off as one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons? This man killed his own sons at different times. And and Josephus, the historian, says that about him. That people said you were better off to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. He was a man who was full of pride and full of anger. A hatred, the scripture tells us. Herod didn't worship God properly. In case you're wondering how things worked out for Herod, and I won't go into too graphic of detail, but he died a painful death. Very much alone. You see... What happens when you reject God's story in such a way as King Herod did, the calluses that build up in your heart cause you to reject so much more than just Jesus. Today, we've seen and heard several aspects of of his story, and we're now left to respond to the greatest story ever told. We're coming to a place where you get the opportunity to respond to the author himself. How will you do that? The innkeeper responded by turning away Mary and Joseph and the soon-to-be-born baby Jesus, but he didn't know the whole story. Herod not only turned away Jesus, but he attempted to kill him as a baby at the cost of many innocent lives. And he had the story in front of him. He had the prophecies. He had the scribes. He had the learned people around him. But he couldn't see the goodness in the good news, and his heart was hardened. Sadly, there are Herods by the dozens that sit in pews of churches today. Outwardly, appear, they appear devout and deeply religious, but inwardly, they're living a lie. 
They don't know God. They don't have a relationship with Him. They, they may sing songs and give to the offerings and things like that. They may do all the right things, but it doesn't mean they're true worshipers because God looks in on our hearts and He knows where our hearts are. If your life is not right with God, when you come to worship Him, not only does it fail to please God, but it's offensive to Him. What does God see in your heart today? There are plenty of false worshipers in our culture. We see it every day in the news. Are you a true one? Like I said earlier, when our heart is hardened towards God, it will affect more people than just ourselves. And then we have the shepherds. Those common, common people. But they heard the message. And and they heard the angels say to them, it's been great to worship with you all this evening, but now it's time to go. And the... That was my translation of that story. But the shepherds went. The shepherds heard the good news and they responded by going to see the baby king. They responded by going and worshiping baby Jesus. And they worshiped him. And then they went on to tell others what they had seen. How about you? How will you respond to his story today? If you respond like the innkeeper, ignoring who's knocking on the door of your heart, remember, he didn't know the whole story. But you do. That means we're, we're without excuse. I pray that you will not respond like King Herod did. But remember, if that's your response, Scripture tells that there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. As we come to our response time today, the only question is, how will you respond to the author of life and his story? The baptistry is ready if that's how you would like to respond. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you if your response is one of repentance and rededication. But I want you to know whatever your response is, you've been given the whole story today. Albeit through some different ways. But you've also been given the exact words from God. And how you respond is up to you. Will you stand and sing with us and respond accordingly? It's been great to be here with you all this morning and to worship and take a minute to compare Herod and the innkeeper and the shepherds and how they responded to God's story. Keep in mind as you go this week, you can go like Herod or you can go like the innkeeper or you can go like the shepherds. I choose to go like the shepherds. Telling everyone, whether they choose to listen or not, the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's what we should be doing every day. Will you sing this last song with us?